There we go. Now, come on, man. You're just going to keep your arms folded? You don't know going to grab a Bible? Don't make me say green shirt. Come on. <laughs> Why does it people think when you get old, you can't see? I'm always watching young men. That's why I was watching you. I'm always watching. You ever think about preaching? You ever talk about preaching? Man, let me tell you something. Big, ugly people make good preachers. <laughs> John chapter 3. I'm really growing to, to love the Lord after these 42 years of coming into the kingdom. One of the coaches there at Oklahoma University taught me the gospel back in 1900 and none of your business. And it was just a joy to run into someone that talked about the Lord away from a building. That was what his conversation was about. Day in and day out was focusing on uh, Jesus saying like in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I was hurting, but I wasn't going to tell anybody that. I was hurting coming from a broken home, eight sisters, three of us boys, not knowing what my purpose was. There's supposed to be purpose in life, and I didn't know what my purpose was. In sports, they say you're always one injury from retirement. And they say you got to have a plan B. Well, actually, that should be plan A, because none of us are going to play sports forever. And so that's plan A is what you're going to do forever. Plan B was just football. I was hurting because I needed answers. I didn't like the man that was my father, and I didn't want to grow up and become like him. So who was I going to model? Who was I going to pattern my life after? What kind of man was I going to be? Would I be a good husband? Would I be a good father? All those doubts were there. But being an athlete, everybody talked about sports. Very few people talked to me about my life, my future, my goals. What did I aspire to do when I grew up? When you go to some of these prestigious universities, uh, you're in Oklahoma, they didn't have any professional teams, so they thought Oklahoma was the professional team. A real tight. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody just talked about sports. They didn't know I was hurting. I was bleeding both sides. I was bleeding out. Trying to find what's the purpose of life. And running into this young man, he had been a quarterback at OU and was a quarterback coach at the time. And he would stay after practice and start throwing passes to me. He seemed to be a nice guy. Didn't use cuss words. My mother was the only one that cussed in our family. Nobody else was allowed to cuss, and she could cuss enough for everybody. And, of course, she died that way. I tried for about 40 years to teach you the gospel. She wasn't interested in hearing the gospel from her son. But it makes you dig in because you know other people out there hurting too. And that's what I noticed about Jesus. Jesus ministered to the hurting there's not a person in this building this morning that's not hurting. For a child, for themselves, for a relative, 
for a grandchild, for a neighbor, for a friend. When you learn to love Jesus, you learn to care about people. Out of all the gospel writers, out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John writes later than do the other writers. And when John writes, he is writing about Jesus' deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and that light was the light of man. John writes to talk about Jesus being God in the flesh. Deity coming down in the flesh. Eternity coming to live in a mortal body. John 1.14, the word became flesh and he came and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When John writes, he is still moved by deity becoming flesh. Coming down to communicate to us the will of God for hurting people, the human race. The whites are hurting, the blacks are hurting, the Hispanic are hurting, the rich are hurting, the uneducated are hurting, the educated are hurting. All humans hurt when they don't have a relationship with God. And the church said, now we ain't going to be no white church this morning, y'all. Don't y'all sit there. Don't be sitting there blinking me to death. Amen. All right, don't make me pull out my two-hour sermon. Woo! Because I ain't into people just blinking me to death. Y'all still blinking, amen? Amen, okay, now we're getting on the right page. Woo! How long does it take to thaw y'all out? (laughs) All right, I'll do that in a little bit. John writes and he gives us more of Jesus' one-on-one interview than do the other writers. When John writes, he wants us to know that God wants a personal relationship with you. He knows your pain. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strength. There's nothing hidden from him. Hebrews 4 and verse 13. All things are naked and laid open before the eyes of him with whom we must give an account. He ministers to the hurting. And oh, what a savior we have. I have those questions answered. I know who I am. I'm a child of the king. Amen? I got on an airplane recently. This lady walked up to me, the stewardess, and she said, who are you? I said, a child of the king. She said, no, that's what I'm not. I'm not talking about that. She said, who are you? I said, a child of the king. She said, that's not what I mean. She said, on the last flight, Sugar Ray Leonard was on the flight, and I didn't recognize him. She said, so when I see anybody that looks like there's somebody, I want to know who they are. I said, well, sister... It may not sound like much now, but you let Jesus show up. Amen? (laughs) You let Jesus show up, and it'll mean something then. I'm a child of the king, so whenever that question comes up, that's the first thing off my tongue, because I know he's coming. Amen. Amen. I know he's coming. I want to live like he's coming. So John writes, and he wants to show us Jesus, not in the crowd, not in the multitudes, not healing all of the sick. He wants to show us Jesus one-on-one. Because when it's one-on-one time, you find out who a person really is. You find out what the hurts and the pains are all about. Because nothing is hidden. And it is amazing with Jesus, nothing ever slipped out of his mouth. Isn't that crazy? 
Nothing never came out of his mouth accidentally because his words were life. John 6, 63. He said, it is the spirit that gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Whenever he opened his mouth, it was created. It happened. His words were purposed. And we're supposed to be a people whose words are now purposed just like Jesus. Because from the abundance of the heart, it is the mouth that speaks. John 3, he finds a religious man. He believes in the right God. As far as he knows, he's been worshiping according to what ancestors and old scriptures, Old Testament scriptures have taught him. But a wild man came on the scene named John the Immerser. And he came out of the desert. And he wasn't too much in the casseroles. Amen. He didn't like casseroles. He liked locusts dipped in a little honey so the slide down was easy. Yeah, I don't know if you tried that lately. When I got married, me and Ketchup got married too. <laughs> you young men that ain't married yet, you keep a good bottle of ketchup around. Because when that woman starts cooking, you're going to be a guinea pig. You're going to have to test stuff that a lot of people don't get to test. <laughs> And she would say, why do you have that ketchup? I said, I want the slide down to be easy. <laughs> Me and ketchup been married for 32 years. Whatever she puts on that table, it's going down. Amen. <laughs> it don't have to taste like my mama's cooking, but it's going down because I'm staying married. That's my point. <laughs> do that again. I like that. Thinking about that, huh? Yeah. Heinz, it goes down slow. <laughs> It's hard for religious people to admit that they're hurting. He was a man named Nicodemus, verse 1 says. He was hurting and he couldn't even go to his membership. He couldn't even go to his elders. He couldn't even go to his colleagues. Because these guys don't admit that they're hurting. He was a Pharisee. Pharisee was one of the most zealous religious groups of that day. And they had commitment. History says to be a Pharisee, you have to memorize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Y'all ought to try that this afternoon and see how many of y'all get that down by this evening. The point about Pharisees was they were committed religiously and they stood for something. They didn't back down and they didn't back up. It wasn't in their gear shift. Christians are supposed to stand their ground as well. Ephesians 4.15. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. But we stand our ground. Let's read some about this religious hurting man. He had heard a wild man preaching named John. And John was preaching repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Mark 1, 4 and Luke 3, 3. No Jew ever had to be baptized until John the Immerser came on the scene. And he only went to the lost sheep of Israel. Those with Jewish upbringing. Well, the Pharisees didn't agree to that. And the reason they didn't agree to that because baptism was a Gentile ritual. If a Gentile was converted to Judaism, called a proselyte, Acts chapter 2, one of the cleansing rituals he went through was a baptism. And now to tell a devout Jew, as in John chapter 3, 
John told them, do not think to say within yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for God can of these very stones raise up children unto Abraham. That was their whole card. I don't have to be baptized. Abraham's my father. And John said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And he was preaching that hard and heavy to the most religious people on the planet who didn't think they needed to repent. Hello? Isn't that crazy that John comes telling the most religious people in the world, you need to repent? <laughs> well, he preached that sermon for about three years. Can you imagine hearing that same sermon for three years every Sunday? Uh, John, you coming to the potluck this afternoon? Repent! Well, John, you know we got some speaker coming out of town that's really going to be repent! Well, John, you know we got some stuff going on in Faulkner. You know what's happening? Repent! John didn't back up for anybody. He wanted everybody to. Amen. Amen. That's why this front row is always empty. People think when you sit on this front row, you're repenting. <laughs> I don't care what row you're sitting on, you're supposed to be repenting. That's what we do daily because we are sinners. Even though we believe in God, we too hurt. And we do need to admit when we're hurting. Confess your faults one to another. And then we can be healed. And we can help heal others. Nicodemus wasn't of that mind. And so we get his history. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We get his position. That's one of the things I like about Jesus. Before we get into the meat of the word, he always gives us the history of that person. So you just don't stand on the street corner and attack somebody with the sword of the spirit. Ephesians 6, 17. It was not meant to cut people up. God's word. It's meant to heal. A ruler of the Jews. Here is a teacher among the Jewish people. And he comes to Jesus by night, the writer tells us. Don't know why. A lot of different suggestions. But he comes by night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do what you do unless God be with him. I do like that about Nicodemus. He did his homework. He said, nobody is capable of doing what you do unless God is with him. Have y'all done your homework? Can you open up your Bible and prove what you believe? Book, chapter, and verse? That's what 1 Peter 3.15 says we're supposed to. Always be ready to give an answer to those who ask the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. When I became a Christian, I had two playbooks. One was the NFL and the other one was heaven. I had to decide which playbook I was going to learn. Because when they let me go out on the football field, I can't take the playbook out on the field with me. Man, what was that play? What was it on? Three or four. Jump off sides, that's $1,000. You got that in your pocket? They don't spend time arguing with you in pro football. <laughs> you lose your playbook, $30,000 coming out of your check. They don't ask you about that. $1,000 for every pound you're overweight. Oh, yes, sir. We can slim you down. You want to slim down? <laughs> I can slim you down. Just $1,000 for every pound you're over. Third time it triples. I want this word just like David. I want to store it up in my heart because I'm going to have to do battle with that old devil because I hurt daily. 
Yes, it hurt that I couldn't teach my mother for 40 years, couldn't teach my dad for 41 years. I got seven sisters that can't teach. I got two brothers that don't want to listen. But I'm not going to sit around and babysit them. Amen. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God knows when the heart is ready and we're supposed to be sowing that seed. Here is somebody came looking for Jesus. And he said, I've done my homework. Nobody can do what you do unless God is with him. Now, his logic was right. They had good logic, but they wouldn't listen to their own logic. So Jesus said in verse 3, unless a man is born again, they can even see the kingdom of God. He knew what Nicodemus was wrestling with. He was wrestling with the message John the Immerser was preaching. He didn't think he had to be baptized because he had been circumcised after being eight days old. A Jewish boy was circumcised at eight days old. A child's blood will not clot before eight days. This country, they give a baby a vitamin K shot when they're born. So the blood will clot. A Jewish boy was circumcised on the eighth day of birth and was made a part of God's covenant without even knowing God. And God had promised that was going to stop. Jeremiah 31, 31. Hebrews 8 and Hebrews 10, where God had promised, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Not like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, which my covenant they break. But I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I'm going to write my laws on their hearts and on their minds. And no longer will they say, know the Lord, for all will know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Anyone in the kingdom today, God expects them to have these words on their heart, to know them well, because Satan will come at inconvenient hours, not eight to five all the time. That's why the Bible says, and about midnight, that was an uncomfortable hour. Most people were sleepy by then. Well, he came to Jesus by night. And he wasted no time in verse 3. He wasn't going to get a preacher war going on. There's a new preacher in town. Yeah, some guy from Nazareth. Man, does he preach something different than John? Let's go test him. And so they tried to get a preacher battle going on between John and Jesus. And there wasn't going to be no preacher battle. John said he must increase. I must. Wasn't going to be no preacher battle. Here, there's no place for competition. Amen. I'm not in the song leaders and I'm not in the preachers. Oh, I like that song leader better than I like that song leader. You better know what you're singing because you can sing a lie just like you tell a lie. <laughs> you better see what them words are saying because I've changed a lot of words in this book <laughs> and, and all these song books because some of them are lies. And some of them I didn't know what it was. The panoply of God. Y'all know what a panoply is? <laughs> I didn't say plant a tree. Panoply. <laughs> Y'all better start finding out. Because the guy that taught me, he used to say that every Sunday. He said, you can sing a lie just like you can tell a lie. So when I come to that, the, mm, I just hum it. The mm, of God. I didn't want to sing a lie. I had to go home and get me a dictionary and find out what panoply meant. <laughs> and I know y'all looking at me like you want me to tell you too, don't you? <laughs> go get a dictionary. <laughs> I want to know God. I want to know God. And that's what Paul said. One of the verses that moved me in my early days as a Christian in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10. 
a very profound verse. Man been preaching for over 50 years and he said, I want to know Christ. There wasn't a person living that would have told Paul he didn't know Jesus. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. If perhaps I might attain from the resurrection of the dead. How can a man been preaching over 50 years and his desire, his longing is still, I want to know Christ. Paul never got enough. Whatever he was learning, he wanted more. Whatever he was living, he wanted more. He wanted the bar to be raised daily. And as Christians, that's supposed to be our desire. With the Lord, with our marriage, as parents, as servants. Daily I say, Lord, raise the bar. Raise the bar. Because we are human, familiarity breeds contempt. Anything that we become familiar with, we grow contemptible toward. That's just human nature. I despise it, but that's just what I battle daily. That's why I hurt. And that's why I come to Jesus. And he forgives me. And I get a new day, rain or shine. Because in my world, it's always shining. Amen. (laughs) I know it don't look like it for some of y'all, but when I turn it that way, it's shining. Yeah. (laughs) You got that, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to let my little light shine. Everybody be looking at my light. Oh, yeah. There we go. (laughs) We need reminders, church. Right now, statistics say that we're losing over 700 young people who are brought up in Christian homes and they leave at 18. Over 700 leave Jesus when they leave home. Being raised as members of the body of Christ. Why are they scattering? We've got to get Jesus back into our homes. Amen. We got to get daddies and mamas talking about Jesus back in the home in the lives of their children because this is supposed to be a lifestyle. This is not something I go do. My kids never say, Daddy, we going to church? I mean, they would pin your ear when they were three years old when somebody says, let's go to church. You can't go to church because the church is you. (laughs) My kids would be correcting all kind of adults as we've been doing, huh, Doug? (laughs) church. What an opportunity. What a time for us to be alive. During this era where we can be the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We have obeyed the gospel. What an era to be living in. And to know with all my fallacies and faults I can't be perfect but I know I am the perfect sinner and I need Jesus. This gentleman came to the right person, but he wasn't wanting the answer that Jesus was giving him, but it was God's answer. He's hurting. He sees John baptizing all of these men and women that he thought was saved 
that he thought was okay, that he saw at the synagogue every time they gathered, that he saw at the temple on their high days, Pentecost, Passover, and Tabernacle. They're good people. And yet here John was immersing them. He didn't know what to think about that. I asked some gentleman recently, I said, you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, how do you know? He said, I was baptized. I said, when? He said, 30 years ago. I said, you think what you did 30 years ago saved you today? You are sadly mistaken. There's no such thing as once baptized, always saved. Hello? Amen? I must have a concurrent relationship with Jesus. Let me translate that a different way. You ask one of these grandpas back here, how long you been married, grandpa? He said, 50 years. He said, did you tell on that wedding day you love her? He said, yeah. Have you told her since? Uh-uh. If I change my mind, I'll let her know. That wouldn't be a marriage. That'd be a prize fight. Woo! <laughs> well, we all know about relationships in the flesh are supposed to be concurrent. There are things that we're supposed to be doing to update that relationship. You know, like date night. You've heard of date night. I didn't ask if you did. I said, you heard of it. <laughs> yes, yeah, the counselors are talking about let the wife pick out date night. I had two of them. Tuesdays and Thursdays was my wife days. That's when I did all the cooking. I did all the cleaning, all the folding, all the scrubbing the floors, making the beds, changing the diapers. Yeah, those were my days. And they were good days. She looked forward to those days. She got so excited. I just kicked in seven days a week. Come on, man. Don't leave me. Don't leave me now. Look at y'all leaving me. Yeah, do that again. <laughs> I didn't get one amen from you guys. Thanks a lot. I'm trying to get y'all to step up and like. Then I get blinked. <laughs> and so now it's something that I do daily. I enjoy getting up in the morning. I like the braid hair. I have an eight sisters. I got three daughters, so I do my girl's hairs in the morning. Aha. And I do their nails. And I do their toenails. And in the evening when they get home, I do my daughter's pedicure and my wife's. I take care of them dogs. Because they're barking. <laughs> I don't want my woman going out here spending all that money on some pedicure place. I can do that at home. Look at that. No amen from the men. Thanks a lot, man. There y'all go again. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to let you know how to stay married. Amen. I know my woman ain't leaving me. You know why she ain't leaving? She can't go out here on the street corner and find a guy that's qualified to do all I've been trained to do in these 40, 32 years. <laughs> I'm solidifying my marriage. Did Jesus wash his disciples' feet? Huh. Isn't that amazing? How can I ask my four children to serve Jesus if I haven't served them? See, my kids know I don't take them to church. My kids learn that mom and I, we are the church. And we're going to have church at home. We're going to pedicure some feet. We're going to cook some meals. I'm going to braid some hair. That's my time to get up in the morning. There's not a parental like the lowly Jesus singing. No, not one. Keep. That's how I wake him up in the morning. Yeah, we, we get up having a good time. Amen. 
Get right, church, and let's go home, man. Getting them eggs ready. Get right, church, and let's go. That's good stuff. You see, we do that daily in our household because I don't want them, my kids to have to wait for Sunday and Wednesday. It's supposed to be a lifestyle. Here in John chapter 3, these people was just used to, well, I'm just Jewish. One girl told me at OU. She said, I don't believe in God. I'm just Jewish. I don't need God. I got a good job. I got a good life. What do I need God for? I was shocked. Wow. And yet here we are today living in a country that don't want God in it no more. Hello? They don't want prayer. They don't want the Bible. They don't want Christianity. That's what they think. Let another 9-11 happen. Guess what? God has a way of bringing people to the knees. God doesn't do it, but he'll sure let that devil put some knots on her head. He comes to the right person by night, and they get into a discussion. What time is it? 25 till. I got 15 minutes. 10. I got to score fast. (laughs) Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Must he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Verse 4. See, he's going back to circumcision. He's going back to Jeremiah 31. He's going back to circumcision. Do I have to go back into my mom and be circumcised again a second time? Jesus said in verse 5, unless a man is born of water and the spirit, they cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you that you must be born again. For the wind blows where the willeth, and you hear the sound thereof, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone that's born of the spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Jesus said, aren't you a teacher in Israel? And do you not understand these things? Verily, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we've seen, and you have not received our witness. And if I tell you earthly things and you believe them not, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no one, verse 13, has ascended into heaven, but the one who descended out of heaven, even the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believeth may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not, conditional, perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved by him. What a conversation. Here's a religious man that's been hurting for some three years. And he gets an opportunity to talk to this new rabbi. And he hears the same sermon he's been hearing from John. There's not going to be a preacher battle. It's not about the preacher man. I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm a Cephas, I'm of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.10. Is Christ divided? Verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 1. Everybody knew the answer. Here's a religious man hurting. He thought he had done enough. He was still looking to his past for his present salvation. That doesn't work today either. I get up each day to renew my relationship with my God, with my family, and with my neighbors. 
We cannot look to the past thinking that it makes me right in the present because it is a daily commitment that we make. I believe that's what Luke says. Take up your cross daily, Luke 9, 23, and follow after me. A daily commitment. Here's a man, number one, he was hurting because he had stopped studying. He had stopped studying. If he'd have studied the scripture, he would have understood where Jesus is coming from. All the Jews would have. They just stopped studying because so many people think once they get the A, B, C, D, E, F, G's down of religion, they got it made. Then all they got to do is just show up on Sunday and Wednesday and, oh, they're so faithful. Oh, how do you know? They're here every time the doors are open. Is that what faithfulness is? If I were to ask a wife, is your husband faithful? And she said, yeah, that rascal comes home every day after work. (laughs) She knows that ain't what I'm talking about. Well, I believe faithfulness is of the same meaning. When a person is faithful, it's in a relationship with Jesus. It's not about them showing up at a location. It's in a relationship. My son told me he just finished up at Mizzou two years ago playing a little football. When he's about 10 years old, he said, Daddy, I want to play football. I said, no, sir. He said, why not? I said, because if you get hurt, boy, you ain't messing with my marriage. If you get hurt... Yo, mama going to be upset at me. I said, we ain't having that. He said, dad, I like to play football. I said, look, son, just because you weigh 190 pounds in the fourth grade, I don't want you going out here just bullying everybody because they weigh about a buck 15. <laughs> Did I get that right? Buck 15? <laughs> I said, I tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I said, you give me 200 push-ups every night. In the fifth grade, and 200 push ups every night, and then we'll talk turkey. I said, I gotta see that you have some commitment to putting some work in, because if you ain't gonna put the work in, it's just a matter of time until you get hurt, injured. If you're not gonna put the work in, because failing the plan is planning to fail. Amen. And so I'd put him on my back and I'd knock out my 200. I can't have Simba run, running my household because I'm Mufasa. Amen? I don't want my wife bragging on Simba. She needs to be bragging on Mufasa. Woo! <laughs> so we hit seventh grade. And it was a thousand push-ups every night, a thousand jump ropes a day. He in 10th grade, 10th grade, it was 2,500 push-ups every night, 5,000 jump ropes a day. We're not talking about what he did at school. I'm talking about our homework exercises. Hello. Just like you have homework in the classroom, you got homework too if you're going to play sports because you're going out there to represent Jesus. Why is it everybody paints pictures of Jesus and this dude look like he couldn't pop a grape? I mean, he ain't big as a broomstick. Everybody wants to paint Jesus up to look overly feminine. I don't believe he was overly muscular, but he wasn't some little skinny guy either. When he cleansed the temple, nobody grabbed him. So don't go to thinking just because you're big and strong and muscular, you're not needed in this kingdom. Yes, you are. We need some big, ugly preachers. Amen, brother. Amen. So you need to start thinking about that. 
Do you know how many of these little guys over here would love to be that big and ugly? Amen. I mean, this little guy looking over at you like, man, if I was that big, I'd go out in the woods and whoop a bear. I mean, you think about that, ain't you? Well, you can tell them there's a lot of little cubs out there. <laughs> well, that's why I didn't think ministry for me. No, I'm not getting into ministry. Why? Well, the guy that taught me, he's about five foot seven, tippy toes. And he weighed about 155 pounds. All these little handsome preachers. I ain't going to be no preacher. He said, well, who made you this big and ugly? I said, Jesus. He said, well, why did he make you this big? I don't know. He said, well, how about spreading the message? Well, I don't see no more big uglies out there. I mean, you guys thought about that? woo hey, I'm telling you. You guys look like you're already in the ministry. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people out there could, for us to convert. Because there's more ugly people out there than there are good-looking people. We got some work on our hands. <laughs> wow. Here was a man wrestling with the new birth. Are people wrestling with it today? They're wrestling with the new birth today. They're all trying to say you don't have to be baptized to be saved. I don't believe in baptism only. But I believe the book teaches that when one believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that they're supposed to be united with him when they're willing to repent and be immersed in that water, that they die with him, they're buried with him, they're raised with him, Romans 6, 3 through 5. And they've been raised to walk in a new life. Nicodemus was there to help take Jesus off the cross. We don't ever find in Scripture where Nicodemus ever obeyed the gospel. He continued to be torn between the past and the present. Hurting religiously. And he came to the great physician and he wasn't willing to accept the medicine the great physician was offering. The medicine was he had to be born again of water and the spirit, John 3. John's baptism did not give the spirit. But if Nicodemus had obeyed, as many did, they were alive in Acts 2 when the kingdom came. And that baptism would come with the Spirit. Acts 2.38 Repent and be baptized everyone in your name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off even as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Church, we're living in a day and time where people are trying to say Jesus, yes. Church, no. Yes to Jesus, but no to them people who claim the following. You can't have Jesus without his bride. Amen? Can't have him without us. And oh, bless our soul. Amen, church? Bless our soul. We ain't perfect. We will get on your nerves. Amen. Some of us will be prejudiced. Amen. That's why I make sure I kiss all the men I meet. Nobody ever asked me if I like chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. Because when you get around me, guess what? You better pucker. <laughs> Amen? Amen, baby. Because Jesus said that we're supposed to love one another. By this, all men are going to know that we're his disciples. If I can't learn to love my family here, what's going to happen when I go out there in the world? So when I go through the airport, 
I can't even get men to look at me because they look at me and I go. <laughs> and the wife goes, where? I know what he said. That black guy over there blew me a chocolate kiss. I get on the plane one night and I'm coming down to Montgomery. And this was back in 1900 and none of your business. I was coming down to Montgomery and I noticed there was an attache case sitting by one of the benches. So I went over and sat down next to it. And of course, I'm usually in a t-shirt and jeans when I fly. I like to be an undercover brother. So nobody can really tell what I do. So I go sit down by the attache case. And this woman comes flying out of nowhere and grabs that thing like a million dollars was in it. I've been arrested twice since I've been back in America. Somebody thought they recognized me from Unsolved Mysteries. Amen. My wife even told me I look like nine out of ten suspects on 10 o'clock news. Amen. <laughs> she grabbed that, that case and I said, ma'am, I said, you in trouble. She said, I am. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, when we go up to get our seats, because back then, you know, you couldn't print it off at home. I said, they're going to say, ma'am, has your luggage been in your possession the entire time? I said, you're going to have to lie. And I'm going to tell her you're lying. She tried to ignore me. And finally, she came on. We are now open for seating. And so she started walking up and I was right behind her. And they said, ma'am, has your luggage been in your possession the entire time? And I leaned over her shoulder. And she didn't say nothing. She just was just blinking, the lady. And so she gave her a seat. I got my seat. We went on the plane and guess who's sitting next to me? (laughs) She said, what do you do for a living? I said, I eat. You stop eating, you'll stop living. She said, no, no, I mean like, you know, a job. How do you make money? I said, the same way you do. God blesses me. Hasn't he blessed you? She said, oh, it's so hard to talk to you. I said, well, say what you mean. (laughs) I'm not going to tell them what they want. And so finally I told them I was a minister. She said, well, what do you preach? I said, I preach the dating and sin. That funny? That's what I preach. Any young folks I'm around, no dating. In fact, I got two son-in-laws. My rule of thumb, anybody want to be around my daughter, they come to Mufasa's house. And I pick them up at the front door and don't think I can't pick you up. And I give them 15 kisses, I count. I said, my girls ain't made for face sucking, but I am. You want to suck face, Jack, you let me know because I'll suck your face off. (laughs) One of my son-in-laws got up after the wedding and he said, my father-in-law, when I first met him, had to go to his house to be around his daughter. And he kissed me 15 times every time I came over. He said, then he walked me to the car. I told, told his daughter good night in the house. And he walked me to the car and kissed me good night 15 times. Amen. I got neighbors, Jack. You ain't walking out in the dark with my daughter. <laughs> and now he hugs and kisses every man he meets. That's family space right there, church. Amen? That's family space. I don't want to have to tell people we're family. I want them to see that from our actions, that we're family. And we believe in being personal because we follow a Savior who believes in being personal. Let's sing a verse before we close out. There's not a friend like the lowly. 
singing church no nine keep singing no nine oh well none else can heal all our souls dear i'm singing church no nine yes brother no nine well you know jesus he knows all about our I'm telling you he will guide till the day is done. Well, there's not a no like the lowly. I'm singing church, no, not keep singing, no, not one. Let's have a prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this first day of the week. Thank you for the saints that gathered here. And thank you for all the families that are here, for the shepherds, for the elders, for the members. And pray that we as a people can worship you this day in spirit and in truth. In Jesus we pray. The church said?